0: Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for um, the simplicity uh, but beauty of this study that um, as men to gather together uh, with the word of God, a means of grace that you've given us to reveal yourself to us. We pray, Father, that you would use that this morning, that you would know less than change us, that by the power of the gospel, uh, your indwelling Holy Spirit in us, that we would be more conformed into the image of your son. And that we would even leave this time together uh, more transformed. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, after college, it was really right after I graduated, I, I was living with four other guys in a uh, town home that was literally the, about the closest thing you could get to the animal house. I mean, it was just ridiculous. And we decided that what we would do for spring break is that we would go to surf in San Diego. Anybody been to La Jolla before? Great place. Um, now, what's ridiculous about this is none of us could really surf, uh, but we decided, hey, this is what we're going to go do. And so we went uh, to La Jolla and we spent a week surfing. I shaved my head into a mohawk to look the part. I'm not kidding. And uh, spent the entire week um, really tired and really cold because my I'm six foot four. My center of gravity is another two feet above my head, and so anything that requires balance. Or skiing, water skiing, surfing, it's not a good mix. And so I spent the whole week just drenched and falling off of a surfboard, but I had a mohawk, so it was great. <laughs> I, I, this, the whole time was fascinating to me, and the people that we met surfing, there's nothing like people who spend their life surfing. There was a man I met who was in his 60s, and had been surfing there since he was a kid, and I asked him, you know, what do you do? What do you do for a living? And he said, well, I'm a mailman. And I asked him, I said, well, what do, you, what do you like about being a mailman? And he looked at me and he said, well, I get to surf. <laughs> and he was a man that basically, you've probably experienced this before, people like this, or maybe this morning this would describe you, but work for him was a means to an end, right? He worked in San Diego in order to surf, and he was just kind of counting down his days then he could retire and surf even more. Uh, there's a great 80s song, everybody's working for the weekend, right? I mean, that was his world, that's his reality. Everything that he did throughout the week was a means to an end in order to get to the weekend and just surf. And he thought he had, he had it figured out. He, he thought that this is the good life. And this morning, what I want us to consider, especially about this man or perhaps... Uh, if this describes you, he, he, he's reflective of something that's deep within really probably all of us as workers. And that's this, that we really, we view life and work through a lens of dichotomy. Uh, that here's our kind of working week and here's our other self on the weekend. And in the world, uh, that could be in the form of, hey, I'm working for the weekend or I'm working in order to surf. Within the church, that divide is something far different. It's the divide between sacred and secular. The divide is saying everything that I do, Monday through Friday, as a worker, as a, as a man who works and is, has an occupation, well, that's, that's one part of me. But then there's another part of me. That's the secular part, the part that just works in the world. There's another part of me that is a Christian man, a, a man who is um, trying to be as faithful as he can to his God and to his wife and to his children. And this morning, what I want us to begin to consider is that our character as men is not something you turn on and off. It's not a dichotomy between what is secular and sacred. It's not a dichotomy between what we do as workers and what we do as family men or as believers in Jesus Christ. Our character is something that is deeply rooted within us. And it should not surprise us then as we consider wisdom and as we come to a close uh, in our study through the book of Proverbs that if wisdom is the art of godly living, and godly living is not just something you do at church, (laughs) not just something you do at a Bible study on a Tuesday morning, but godly living is something you do every single hour of the day, then of course that kind of wisdom of godly living would come to bear on the place that we spend most of our hours every week, in our jobs in our occupations, in our work. And I think the problem that we have with a lot of this, not just work, but when it comes to what wisdom looks like, is we need examples. It's one thing to talk about it. It's one thing to just have a proverb spoken to us. But we really benefit, don't we, as men, to be able to see wisdom practically lived out, to have an example of this kind of godly living For us. And this morning, we're going to look at the second half of our study of work. And we're going to look to an example of what wise working looks like in the most unlikely of places. So I want to get your Bible out or your sheet. And the person we're going to look to to be our example of godly living as a wise worker is the Proverbs 31 woman. Now, I wonder how many of you have ever studied the Proverbs 31 woman before. And I have this as a question in your sheet, maybe as an icebreaker for your tables. But typically, if you, at worst, a lot of times as men, if you've studied the Proverbs at all, you don't even look at the Proverbs 31 woman because you're like, well, that doesn't apply to me. right? That has nothing to do with me that's about a woman, and I'm not one of those, and so I'm not even going to read it. Or if you do read it, at best, you think, okay, well, this applies to my wife, or this applies to my girlfriend or future wife, that this is a list, you know, single guys, a list of what all the qualities and characteristics of the girl I'm supposed to marry, or men if you're married. Okay, my wife needs to become more like this woman. But we don't consider, perhaps, that this example, this valiant woman, this valiant wife, perhaps could serve as a teacher for us. In the same way as the wise lady wisdom in Proverbs 1. Remember, wisdom cries aloud in the street, in the markets. she raises her voice. Lady wisdom in Proverbs 1. We're at the end now, Proverbs 31. The valiant woman has a lot to teach us about what it means to live lives of godly character. And for her, a lot of that comes out, in fact, most of it comes out in the marketplace, So very quickly this morning, I want us to, you know, he who has ears, let him hear. If you have the ability to learn, to have the humility, to really see the example of godliness in this Proverbs 31 woman, what I want you to leave here this morning is not to go home to your wife or girlfriend, especially not your girlfriend. Your wife isn't supposed to leave you, but if you, (laughs) she could, um, and say, this is what you need to be more like, honey. Honey. But I want you to consider, what, what does it look like for you to become a Proverbs 31 man? What does it look like for you to become a Proverbs 31 man, in particular, as you leave this place and go to work? What does it look like to have that kind of godly character, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week? All right. So six quick things. There's a lot of ways we could slice this. So I'm just going to give you six characteristics of the wise worker. The wise worker, as learned from the Proverbs 31 woman, and the first is this, the wise worker is faithful. The wise worker is faithful, and we'll do our best to kind of go in succession of the verses here, so we'll start, um, well, first, you know, verse 10, an excellent wife who can find, she's far more precious than jewels, right? This is the beginning, the introduction of this woman, an excellent wife, a valiant wife, a valiant woman, and she's far more precious than jewels, okay? And so the first thing we look at is that the wise worker is faithful. Look at verse 11 with me. Proverbs 11 says that the heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good, not harm, all the days of her life. I want you to think about the most faithful people in your life, people that you would describe as being faithful, loyal, People have been there for you, right? And those people who are in your life, they're trustworthy. You can count on them. You know that what they say they're going to do. And this is what we see in this woman, that her husband trusts in her, right? Her yes is a yes. Her no is a no. Uh, Everything that she does, verse 12, she does him good, not harm, all the days of her life. So as we consider what it means to be a worker, Shouldn't we want to be trustworthy in what we do? that whether it's an employee or a client, people we interact with, that we want to be known as men who are faithful to our work, so much so that people can trust us, that we are trustworthy, that those closest to us would be able to trust us, that we would do good, like at Proverbs 27: 31,27. I don't think this one's on your sheet, but I'll give you this one too as well. She looks well t- to the ways of her husband and does not eat the bread of idleness. So again, she- she's faithful to her calling. Her calling is a wife. All right, she looks well to the ways of her husband. She's faithful to this calling of making sure that everything in her husband's life is going according to plan, and that she does not eat the bread of idleness. We'll talk about hard work more in a second. But she's not idle about it, right? She's, that faithfulness actually leads to action. But that quality, that characteristic of being faithful and trustworthy, it actually makes her, it drives her, it drives her to work hard. And then finally, uh, Proverbs 31, 31, Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Ultimately, this quality of faithfulness is a characteristic that is praiseworthy. That it's a, a noble characteristic. So much so that even her renown would be known throughout the city. Even at the gates. That people would praise her for her faithfulness, for her trustworthiness. All right, so how, do, how is it that we become faithful in our work? What does that look like? Why don't you go back to my surfer friend, right? What does it look like to him to be faithful to his work? If he's just working for the weekend, if he's just trying to get means to an end so he can surf more... You think he ever missed houses on his delivery route? Think he ever made mistakes? Sure. How faithful do you think he was to his job? Now, I won't be hard on him. We don't know. Maybe he was phenomenal at it. I don't know. If you think about what drove him, was not his job itself. It wasn't being a mailman. It was something totally different. And I think his problem ultimately was not just the dichotomy of self, but he. He didn't really understand his calling as a man. Ultimately, his calling, he felt, was recreation. There's nothing against surfing or any form of recreation for that matter. But I I wonder this morning, do you you see your job as a calling? Do you look at your life and think of all the places that God has led you from college, whatever degree you got, if you got one, uh, to some of the opportunities you've been given, the different jobs you've held? And do you think, man, I've done a lot? I've really earned my way through life. I've really accomplished a lot, and there's a lot more I want to accomplish. Or do you look back and say, look where God has brought me? Look by his grace, the different opportunities he has given me. And do you recognize that perhaps calling doesn't just apply to guys like me and Chad? Remember that if there's no divide between sacred and secular, but perhaps God has called you to wherever you are to be faithful to that calling in the midst of your work. Not just your calling as a Christian, not just your calling as a husband if you're married, not just a calling as a father if you have children, but faithful to your calling as a worker. That Perhaps God has called you, whatever it is that you do, whether you're a banker or a lawyer, whether you're a teacher or a doctor or a physician, whatever it is that you do, that God has called you specifically where you are. And when you begin to think of it that way, that fundamentally who you are as a man made in the image of God, a God who worked, a God who worked to create the world and has made you in his image, to be his image bearer, to cultivate the earth, to subdue it, when you consider that perhaps God has called you to work where you're working. then the idea of faithfulness sinks a little deeper, doesn't it? It's not just being faithful to a paycheck, faithful to a means to an end, but being faithful to the calling of which you've been called. Paul put it this way, 1 Timothy 1.12, I thank him who's given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he's judged me faithful. Appointing me to his service. And you think of Paul and you think, well, yeah, that's a calling, right? I mean, the way God called Paul. He hadn't done that for me, though. I'm different. I'm not like Paul. Now you're exactly like Paul. So am I. Bunch of ordinary sinners that God has called out of his darkness into his marvelous light to be faithful to the calling of which we've been called. Yes, first as men of Jesus Christ. And yes, then to our wives and to our children if we're married, if we have kids. But then to wherever God has placed us. So first, the wise worker is faithful. The wise worker is faithful. Second, and I won't spend as much time on this because Chad's been I a mean, great, great message. If you weren't here last week, I want you to listen to it on diligence. But the wise worker works hard. The, the wise worker works hard. And we see this in the Proverbs 31 woman. She's a hard worker. Uh, 31.13 She seeks wool and flax. She works with willing hands, diligent hands. Uh, She rises while it is yet night. This is 15. Uh, Provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. Now look at this real quickly. Uh, 15. She rises while it was yet night. Right. She gets up early. She doesn't work hard. She works long hours. And she works long hours because she's faithful, not only to her calling, but to the people she's called to. Right? She, part of her work, she recognizes, provides food for her household, even portions for her maidens, her servants, right? her employees. Right? She rises early. She works hard. Proverbs 31.19, she puts her hands to the distaff, and her hands hold the spindle. Right? She's working with her hands. And Proverbs 31.24, she makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the market. So we see throughout, I mean, over and over and over, every, every couple of verses, this picture of this Proverbs 31 woman working hard with great diligence. And we see this great example that, you know what, hard work is not just an American value, but it's something we've been called to do. It's fundamental to our calling uh, in the garden to cultivate, to subdue the earth. All right, so I don't want to belabor this. Chad spent a great bit of time talking about diligence last week. But what I want you to see is that as you leave this place, your motivation to do a good job is not about reflecting you in so much as it's reflecting the God who made you. To be, be an image bearer in your place of work, that your witness is not just as you speak the gospel and live the gospel, but even the, your diligence to work hard, because that is your calling. All right, so that—that's uh, we just like I said, a couple minutes on that. The wise worker works hard. Three, I want to spend a little bit longer on this. Number three, the wise worker is a good steward. The wise worker is a good steward. Part of working hard is recognizing that you're a steward. Now, what's a steward? Let's make this interactive a little bit this morning. We're kind of fading. What's a steward? Somebody throw it out. Caretaker. Good. Caretaker. So think about what's, what's a caretaker? What do they do? Act responsibly. Yeah, act responsibly. But for, I mean, a caretaker might live on a ranch, right? And be the caretaker of the ranch. Is the ranch theirs? Do they own it? But is everything underneath the responsibility? Yeah, sometimes even more than the owner <laughs> in a lot of ways. So they act responsibly. Everything's a responsibility. It's not theirs. They don't own it. It's not their possession. But it's been entrusted to them to cultivate, right, to cultivate that ranch, to be responsible for all the different things that need to be done while on that ranch. You and I, we're stewards. And though you might think this morning that you own a lot of stuff, the reality is, is God has given you all of that. And you really, you haven't earned a thing. That God, by his grace, has given you not only the gifts and abilities that you have, the opportunities that you've been given in order to have the job that you do, to earn what you've earned, right, to have the things that you have, but all of this, he's lavished upon you by his grace. And, And really, that makes us stewards. We're caretakers. Caretakers of all that he's given us, and most importantly, we're caretakers. We're stewards of the gospel. I'll talk more about that in a second. But real quickly, look with me, Proverbs 31, 14. She's like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. What this is talking about is she's an importer. <laughs> and what I want you to notice about the idea of stewardship here is that she is taking the time and care to get the best. right? To not just be satisfied for whatever can be grown right there in her little world. But she recognizes there are things that we can't get here that it's it's better to get other places. I mean, it's she's an importer. What I want you to notice about this is that she's actually taking a great deal of care about the things that she has, namely her food. Something that's very important to her as a woman, right? Someone who's providing food for her household. I, I wonder, as you look at your life, how do you view the things that you have? Do you view them responsibly? Do you recognize that God has given them to you, the steward, to take care of them. Look with me, Proverbs 31, 16. She considers a field and buys it. Okay, that's the first half. So she really, she thinks long and hard. She, she doesn't just go and make a deal very quickly, right? But she's taking the time to be wise about it. She's considering this field. She sees the potential of the field, and then she buys it. But what does she do with it? She doesn't just hold on to it. She didn't just let it sit idle, but the second half of the verse, with the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. So she, first, she stops, she takes the time to really consider an investment. She then buys the field, and then she doesn't just let the field sit fallow, but she goes and she plants, and she works diligently so that field could bear fruit. She's a good steward, first, of her money as she considers this field and buys it, but then of this field that she now owns, to actually use it well. So the idea of stewardship is fundamental to who we are as created people. That although we've been called to subdue the earth, ultimately we are under his dominion. We are not the ones who are ultimately in charge, he is. It's him, then us. And that makes, if everything is underneath his dominion, and I know we believe that, right? I mean, if if I pushed you and I asked you, hey, do you believe that God ultimately, really, in his sovereignty, owns everything that you have? You'd say, well, of course. But then if I again push, push the way that you live through that reality and say, okay, well, then what does that mean about the way you think about your home, the way you think about your car or your job? Or the gospel itself. I wonder, are you a hoarder? You know that show hoarders? It's really a sad show if you really think about it. Most of those people really suffer from a really great deal of trauma and brokenness. But the way it manifests itself is that they hoard, they keep things. And I think so often we we live like hoarders. And you might not have clutter in your house, but clutter in your life that you really you keep things to yourself, and especially when it comes to the gospel. God has not given us and trusted us the gospel in order to hoard it and keep it to ourself, but he's called it to steward. That you've been given a light in order to be a light, right? You have been reconciled in order to be a minister of reconciliation. That, that God has rescued you in order that you could be a part of his rescue mission throughout the world. Real quickly, this is 1 Peter 4, verse 10. It says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve another as good stewards of God's varied grace. All of you have been gifted immensely in so many different ways, both spiritually and materially. And God has called you, as you work, to be a good steward of this great gift that he's given you. And that stewardship ultimately leads to profit. Not profit like you might think. This is number four. A wise worker is profitable. A wise worker is profitable. I think it's interesting that the Proverbs, so I'll go ahead and read it to you. says Proverbs 31, 18, mentions profit. It says that she perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. But she's working through the night and her merchandise is profitable. She's making a profit. And I want you to see a couple things. First, there's nothing wrong with making a profit. And in fact, I would argue that actually being profitable in your work is being a good steward. That you are taking what you've been given and you are multiplying it. But I want you to consider the word profit this morning, not just talking about money and finances, but the idea of being profitable in the kingdom of God. That you are actually producing something with what you've been given. That you've been given much, and with what you've been given, that you would see that even grow. Not just monetarily, certainly monetarily. It takes a profit to be able to provide, sure. But is the work that you do each and every day, is it profitable, not just financially, but profitable unto the kingdom of God? And this applies again. Again. Not just to pastors, but to everybody. That could it be that there is such value in what you do, whether you are in oil or finance? Take the mailman, for example. What profit does anyone hear mailman? What profit does a mailman bring? What, what, is, what does he offer? It's a service. And what's a service? Thank you. Delivery of communication is the mail important? What would happen if you didn't get mail anymore, and it was still getting sent to you? Yeah, you're starting to think about it, aren't you? <laughs> it's a few, now, about maybe half of that, you know, would be good. You throw it away anyways. Maybe more than that, but you begin to think about some of the more important correspondence you get whether it be things that are marked and insured, that have a contract in it, that you need to sign, or sometimes even more important than that, your mother-in-law since you let letter. <laughs> it's important that you get it. You begin to think sometimes a check. Not often. Yeah, not often. The mailman actually provides a very important service for society. That his function actually profits. It's profitable. Do you see what I mean by that, the word profit? Do you think about what you do and what profit it offers, not only yourself but others. And do you recognize that? Do you recognize that what you've been given, the opportunity to have, whatever job that you have, is it profitable? Do you see it as being profitable? Again, not just financially. I think so often as Americans, that's the bottom line for us but more than financially, that your function, your role, the work that you do, that it profits others. Think about the parable of the talents. If you're familiar with that parable, Jesus tells this parable about several of these servants that are entrusted with property. Again, that word entrusted, they're stewards. And to one he gives five talents, to another two, to another one, each to their own ability. And then he went his way. And then He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. He who had received one talent went in and dug it in the ground and hid his master's money. And after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received five talents came forward bringing five talents more saying, Master, you gave me five talents. Here I've made five talents more. His master said, him, well do Done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. It's where that phrase comes from. You've heard it many, many times. Even perhaps it's been a goal of yours that one day you want to hear those words, "Well done, good and faithful servant." So often, I think we forget that the context of this is the idea that we've been given a lot in order to be profitable in the kingdom. That you wouldn't again just hoard things to yourself. That you would take what you've been given and that you would sow, that you would reap. And again, not just finances, but for the sake of the kingdom of God. The wise worker makes a profit. Number five, we're just about done here. Number five, the wise worker gives generously. So these three are kind of connected. The idea of stewardship, first working hard stewardship, the idea of making a profit, but then the idea of not hoarding it, generosity. I think so much of what we do in our work, right, we we gain from it. The question is, now that you've earned a paycheck, what do you do with those resources? What do you do with that paycheck? And do you recognize as a steward that you are called to generosity? Look at Proverbs 31.20. Again, this valiant woman, this wise worker, it says that she opens her hands to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. So she's been working hard, right? Working hard in the marketplace. She's been selling what she's made. She has fed her family. She's fed her servants. But she doesn't stop there. It says that she has opened her hand to the poor. Right? She has opened her hands to the needy. Do you recognize that as a Christian, not only have you been given a lot to steward, but you've been given grace upon grace, upon grace. That you've been actually lavished grace upon you generously. And this is what James tells us, James 1, that God has given to us generously. He has lavished his grace upon us and fundamental to the gospel Fundamental to grace is this idea that we've been given more than we could possibly imagine that which we don't deserve at all. And God in his generosity has lavished his grace upon us and he has called us in kind to give generously. Uh, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8, Paul says, God is able to make all grace abound to you. Okay, it's been lavished upon you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So he's saying, hey, God has graciously given all of these things to you so that you could go then and work. That you would abound in your work. And he goes on in verse 10, he says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way. Okay? God's going to enrich you. Why? You will be enriched in every way. This is verse 11. In order that you would be generous in every way. Which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. God has called you to give generously to those who are in need, those who are poor, those who are inside the church and in you need, those who are outside the church. And the only way that you can do that, not just give out of abundance, right? Not just give the part that you don't even need anymore, right? Your extras. But the idea of giving generously is recognizing you're giving to the point where it's sacrificial. The only way you can possibly do that is if you go back to the first couple points. Point number three is if you view that everything that you have is not yours to begin with. It's been given to you to steward. It's the only way that we begin to recognize that, man, everything that we have, it's not even ours, it's his. And God has called us as his sons to steward in order, and, he's, and he has given us even more than we could possibly imagine, not for us to keep to ourselves, but to give generously. All right, lastly, and this is where we'll end, number six, the wise worker is secure in Jesus Christ. The wise worker is secure in Jesus Christ. Proverbs 31, 25. I love this. This is great. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. Now, I want us to be careful here. What you Think about those of you who have women in your life, whether it's a, a sister or mother or wife, girlfriend. Summer in here? She is, okay. Why, why do women get dressed? Why do they wear the things that they wear? Women in your life, do they like clothes? Feel good about okay, feel good about themselves, All right. What do clothes do? You? Some of you guys might like clothes too, I don't know, but. Project? What else? Could make you attractive? Make you feel, someone said over here. Distinguished, yeah, it's a great word, distinguished. This woman, we're told, is not just putting on these clothes, but she's putting on characteristics. That her clothing is not just this outward thing, but that strength, dignity, that that's what actually people see more than what she wears. That who she is is, is much deeper in her distinguishness, distinguishedness, right, actually is not about an outward thing, but it's deeply inward. It's that strength and dignity are her clothing. So the first question for you this morning as a man is, is who you are. Is that something that you project? Something that you're thinking, well, I want others to think well of me. And so I've got to each day just kind of muscle it up and make people think that I'm successful, that I've got all my stuff together, that I'm, I'm a man and I'm, I'm doing well. Or or, or do you recognize that the only possible way that you can begin to function is to recognize that that kind of character begins from within? And the only way that that happens comes from the second half of this verse, and I love it. It says that she laughs at the time to come. What does that mean, she laughs at the time to come? She looks at her future, and rather than being anxious... Whether, rather than being filled with fear and deep insecurity, she laughs at it. She looks in her own future, and it gives her a smile. How? Because she is secure. She's secure. She is secure in the sovereignty of God. She recognizes who's in charge. And so the last question for you this morning as I send you to your tables is this. Are you driven out of deep security in Jesus Christ? Or are you driven out of insecurity in yourself? When you think about what you do every day, what ultimately drives you? What motivates you to do what you do? And I want you to really think about this one. This isn't an easy one to answer. And you're going to maybe spend some time after this morning thinking about it. But are you driven out of a deep insecurity to try to mask that? That Recognizing your insecurity like somebody just putting on clothes on the outside, you're just trying to, hey, I'm going to muscle it up, and I'm driven so much by fear, so much as I look into the future of what might or might happen, that I'm just trying to work today as hard as I can out of fear of what might happen. Or are you so secure in Jesus Christ and his care for you that, like the Proverbs 31 woman, you look at what's ahead you laugh at the days to come because you know deep down that God loves you and he cares for you. So why Jesus says in Matthew 6, don't be anxious. Look at the lilies of the field. God is caring for them. How much more does he care for you? Romans 8, love this one. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also graciously give us all things? And then finally, just to bring it back to where we started, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Not the fear of the future, not deep fear of insecurity, but ultimately recognizing the fear of the Lord overwhelms all of their fears. There's nothing to fear when we are deeply secure in who we are as men who've been redeemed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me pray for you and send you to your tables. Father, we thank you this for us as men unfortunately an unlikely example for us but I pray that this woman has much to teach us this morning as we think about who we are in our work we recognize it's much deeper than just our function each day but it goes to the core of who you are and what you've called us to be as men and so I pray for these six characteristics and honestly many more that we see in Proverbs 31 that we would begin to embody and live out the great wisdom you've given to us That you, as we talk about these things at our tables, would help us to think deeply about who we are. And then not only would we think deeply about who you are and what you've done for us, but that we would live out of that, the art of godly living, as we go to our places of work today. We ask this in the strong name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.